Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. It's Thursday of the week before NBA free agency and before LeBron Watch 2018 finds a new gear. But already the clock is ticking. Woj is working. Woj reports that Paul George has informed the Oklahoma City Thunder that he will not be opting in for the final year of his contract. So what does that mean, and is that good news for the Lakers? Well, what it means is he's not automatically staying in OKC. But right now, it feels like everything is trending in the wrong way for L.A. and PG. Now, that doesn't mean that he's coming to L.A., but at the same time, it doesn't mean by not opting in that he's leaving OKC. He could still be there. He could still do a deal with them. What it does mean is the pressure is even higher on the Lakers now to get Kawhi Leonard. I mean, there was a time when Paul George was a sure thing to L.A., and now that he's not, everything looks and feels different. And because of that, according to Woj and Ramona Shelbourne, the Lakers and the Spurs have actually reopened talks or opened since it seems like the last time L.A. tried to call, San Antonio just hung up on them and said, lose my number. ESPN reports that the Spurs still want to repair the bridge with Kawhi, but that the right package might change their mind. Again, the last thing that the Spurs want to do is deal their franchise player. Even worse, deal their franchise player to the enemy. And worse than all of that is knowing that it could mean the Lakers would get LeBron as well, and then the Spurs have essentially built a super team in L.A. for the Lakers. So for that to happen, for San Antonio to go in for that, you know they're going to need a hell of a lot in return for Kawhi. If the Lakers are going to get Kawhi Leonard, they're going to have to give up a ton to get him. And the Spurs are looking to jam them hard. Remember when Paul George went into his walk year with the Pacers and told them that he was going to sign with the LA Lakers in a year. The Lakers heard that. They figured, we don't need to put together some crazy package to get George out of Indiana. He's coming here anyway. Well, how'd that work out? He instead goes to OKC, and because they've done such a good job of selling him on staying, his coming home to L.A. is anything but a lock right now. So, just assuming that he would be here in a year and not pulling the trigger on a deal for Paul George at that time may have been a mistake. And the Lakers do not want to make that mistake again with Kawhi Leonard, especially if the difference between getting LeBron or not may in fact rely on whether or not they get Kawhi Leonard. And it might. So if I'm LA, if I'm the Lakers, and I'm Magic Johnson, and I'm Rob Palenka, I give the Spurs a blank sheet and tell them to fill it in. You tell us what you need, because we need your guy badly, and we'll do whatever it takes to get him. Because despite what Magic Johnson said this week, the Lakers do need to make a splash this summer. Getting shut out again would be a kick in the package. So give them what they want. Brandon Ingram, if you can haul him, you can have him. Kyle Kuzma, enjoy the river walk, my man. Josh Hart, it's been real, and it's been fun, but you're going to have real fun at the Alamo. Lonzo Ball to San Antonio or somewhere else for more parts, peace out. Sign and trade with Julius Randle, signed and traded. The draft rights to Mo Wagner, they're yours. And you know what else? We'll toss in a few other draft picks while we're at it. You want our jerseys? You can have them too. We'll design new ones and get a new logo. Whatever you want, ask for it. We'll give it to you. 
And what I'm saying is, man, do it. Do it. Go for it. Do not wait. I know Kawhi will be a free agent next summer, and you can just sign him then, right? But again, ask guaranteed future Laker Paul George how that worked out. Guaranteed future Laker Paul George is on the verge of staying in Oklahoma City. The guy's from Palmdale. He dreamed of playing for the Lakers, but then he spent a year in OKC, and now instead of driving on the 405, he's looking to stay in the 405, maybe. Again, if you're Magic and you're Palenka, you cannot leave this to chance, especially if Magic really is going to walk if he strikes out this year and next. Overpay for Kawhi if that's what you have to do because in reality you can't overpay for Kawhi not if he's going to bring LeBron and not when Kawhi and LeBron can bring so much more if you're going to go all in go all the freaking way in do not hold on to your assets for who for what it's Kawhi and LeBron we're talking about yeah I know I know LeBron is entering his 16th season eventually this guy's gonna break down But is it really worth holding on to Kyle Kuzma and Josh Hart for that? Would you rather have Julius Randle or Kawhi Leonard? You need this deal. Not just because it means getting Kawhi, but because getting Kawhi means you're probably going to get LeBron. So you go from zero all-NBA players to a pair of all-NBA players in a matter of days. Why wouldn't you do that? Why would you hold anything back? And if going all-in feels desperate, it's because it is. And you are. So get it done. They've got the hammer. Give them what they want. Because to not do so would be even worse. Much worse. We are talking to Eric Wood. Eric, it is great to have you on. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. All right, Eric. You're killing it on the golf course. You have dropped more than 50 pounds since the end of the season. First things first, how is life treating Eric Woods right now? I can't complain. We have we had an addition to the family uh, right after that playoff game this year, our son Garrett was born, so we have two kids, and um, yeah, I've lost some weight, and I feel body's feeling pretty good. I, I always say my joints are tested for 305, and now weighing 250 or so, I feel pretty good moving around. But um, you know, you know, there's times I sure do miss ball still, and um, and I'm sure that'll happen periodically throughout this season. You know, I'll double back to that in a minute, but in terms of you losing 50 pounds, I mean, that's a lot of weight to lose since the end of the season. It's amazing, really. How did you go about doing that, and how does your body feel as a result of that? You know, a lot of diet and exercise, cutting calories and and working out a little differently, and and I was one of those guys that was a hard gainer, so it was always hard for me to stay at 305, which I felt was my optimal playing weight, so it was a lot of work. That was a full-time job trying to keep it on, so um, you know, within probably four months of, of me finding out about the injury, I was able to peel a lot of that weight off, and, and the body feels so much better. You know, I, I wasn't meant to be 305, but I made, I made a good living for myself for nine years um, at that weight. It's so true, Eric. I think people look at that and say, hey, man, what's better? I get to eat all day, all the time. It, it's a job. It's work. It's not as great as it sounds. In fact, it's overrated. Now, after the season, you said that in week five, you got the first stinger of your life. What did that feel like? It was different. You know, stingers are really common in the NFL, you know, um, with the arm numbness and, and a little shot to the head. You get the pain in your neck, and then you get the numbness on your arm. It's a little scary, but they're so common, you don't think a whole lot of it. So, um, you know, after the game, I alerted the trainers and told the team doctors about it, but they weren't 
that alarmed either about it. The thing is, though, then you get another one the following week, and then after that game, they do an x-ray on your neck, and it showed no significant damage. But then after the season, as part of your exit physical, you do an MRI, and it revealed that a disc was dangerously close to your spinal cord. What was it like to receive that news? It was wild. You know, I, I didn't even necessarily want to get the MRI at the time because I was trying to rush back to Louisville um, after the playoff game because my wife was getting ready to be due. So I didn't even necessarily want to get the MRI. I told them, hey, just clear me for the Pro Bowl. Uh, let me get out of here. And they said, Eric, we, we need to get this MRI done. So I got the MRI. Thank God um, that, that something didn't happen throughout the season, you know, that time where um, essentially had a disc sitting on, my, sitting on my spinal cord at C2, C3, which um, is paraplegia if, if something goes wrong there. So, um, you know, extremely thankful, extremely blessed that, you know, I was urged to get those MRIs. But, man, that, that news was terrible. And uh, with me signing a new contract before the season, um, and us being on that playoff, coming off that playoff berth, I was, I was truly excited for this year. I, my job wasn't in jeopardy. Um, I was the only player on the team to play 100% of the snaps. So I'm thinking, hey, let's build on this. Let's, let's get some momentum going, and then, bam, career's over. Eric Wood joining us. I mean, that's really terrifying news to get that news. But being who you are and the way you're wired, and because things were going so well and you were able to grind through so much, when you got that news, did you know right then and there that you were done playing football? Or was there maybe a part of you that thought, maybe I can work around this or work through this? It was the Bills doctor, Dr. Cappuccino, who gave me the call, and he's, he's well-respected um, in the business. But um, as a football player, you always say, hey, there's going to be someone that will clear me. There's going to be someone in that – uh, can do a surgery maybe a little differently than Dr. Cappuccino can. Um, ultimately, everybody we spoke to, which was a lot of team guys and then non-team um, neuro guys, was that, hey, Eric, you know, there, there's, not, there's not a surgery that we can do that still allows you to come back and play ball. And, and I said, well, what about Peyton Manning? He had something similar, didn't he? And they said, yeah, but it was lower. So that's why Peyton was able to get that fusion. Um, if I were to get the fusion, I still wouldn't pass the physical to be able to come back and play. Waking up refreshed and ready to get after it is one of the reasons why I love sleeping on a Casper. But know this, it is also the most comfortable mattress I have ever had. The Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams to give you a great night of sleep. You spend one third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. It's breathable design, lets you sleep cool, and this is something I didn't know. It also regulates your body temperature throughout the night. And let me tell you, there are lots of people raving about the Casper mattress. More than 20,000 others love their Casper mattress, giving it an average rating of 4.8. You cannot argue with results like that. And here's yet another another reason. The price will not keep you up at night. You can also order sheets, pillows, and that will give you the complete Casper experience. Why is it so affordable? Well, Casper cuts out the middleman and delivers it straight to you. You can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. Right now, for my listeners, you can get 50 bucks towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash jungle. Once again, casper.com slash jungle. Use the promo code jungle at checkout. Terms and conditions do apply. Once again, casper.com slash jungle. Promo code jungle. Eric Wood joining us. You know, you battled through some really tough times. Well, tough years in Buffalo. So what did it feel like to finally break through and reach the postseason last year? It was incredible. You know, that's, that's a, a fan base up there that was so desperate for success. And uh, you saw it when they showed up at the airport for us and they showed up down in Jacksonville for the game. And they, you know, 
rain, sleet, snow. They're always at our game, so it was awesome to do it for them. It was it's it's awesome now looking back to not have my entire career tagged with that drought, uh, that playoff drought that was up there. So it's it's great to to uh, have ended on a high note like that. Obviously, you know, as a competitor, I wanted to build from that and, and, and make a run at a Super Bowl in these next coming years. But hey, to not to not have to tag my entire career with that drought is awesome. And, and I'll never win a Super Bowl as a player, but I'll tell you what, we we celebrated that that one playoff berth like we did. That's cool, Eric Wood joining us. And Eric, Jim Kelly and I talked about you during the Super Bowl week. Uh, this past year and he was talking about how much he loved you and the way you play the game and the way you represent the city of Buffalo and his fans in fact he had tweeted quote cannot wait till this man is on the Bills Wall of Fame beside another great center Ken Hall he also added quote truly one of the all-time great Buffalo Bill players on and off the field end quote knowing the love and the respect that Jim Kelly has for Ken Hall that is amazing praise so what's it mean to you to hear that from him Man, it, it's humbling and it means a ton. You know, Jim. Jim, since the day I got to Buffalo, treated me extremely well. We we have a connection that goes beyond football. Um, I lost my little brother to serious illness, and he lost his son. So we always had that connection, and we both have a passion for giving back uh, to families with sick children. So that we've always kind of had that bond off the field. But to hear Jim uh, say that stuff about me and my career, it, and I, I spoke with him up in Minneapolis Super Bowl week as well, and he he said the same things about you know, pushing to get me on the wall of fame. And, and that would mean a ton because at a time now where uh, I feel like I left a little bit out there just because I feel like I had some of my best ball still ahead of me, um, to hear him say those things means a ton. You know, Eric, something else that's been very clear for a long time is the level of respect between you and Kyle Williams. What's he like as a teammate and somebody to go up against? You know, Kyle's phenomenal. I always say that if Kyle – if we're playing in a bigger market, he'd be a J.J. Watt-type personality and superstar. I mean, all he's done is made Pro Bowl after Pro Bowl. He's a phenomenal player, dad, husband. I mean, he's the total package, the ultimate teammate. And uh, throughout my career, um, it's tough to go against. I, I remember showing up in Buffalo my rookie year, and Kyle Williams and Marcus Stroud were our two defensive tackles. And Stroud is enormous. And, and his size is well documented. And Kyle is six one, three hundred pounds, and um, not not visually that imposing. And everyone said, "Don't don't let the looks fool you." Kyle Kyle's the meanest dude on that defense. He's the hardest dude to block. And and sure enough, for the next nine years we played together, he remained the hardest guy to block year after year. Whether it's you know guys on our own team or others, Kyle's as tough as it gets. Eric Wood, my guest. Eric, before I let you go, we talked about the Bills Mafia and what it's like to play in front of these fans, and they're so hardcore, they're so passionate. Now you've talked about being an alum of the team, but also a glorified fan. So if you're a glorified fan, does that mean that you'll also be tailgating and tossing people through tables? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think I can go through tables with this (laughs) neck injury, but uh, I might do some tossing. I I have plans to be up at Buffalo this year. I'm keeping my foundation up there, and uh, our home will be down in Louisville, Kentucky, but you know I, I'll be up there for games. So yeah, I, got, I need to go out and experience it and and get the full effect of it and and really get entranced by these Bills fans. And and I'm looking forward to it. They're they're a special breed. The passion that that city and that fan base has for that team is is not common in professional sports. It reminds you of a of a college town 
and just lucky to play there for nine years. Eric, one last thought. I've argued for a while that Tyrod Taylor does not get nearly the credit that he deserves. You've played with him, so you know him much better. What do you make of him as a player, and how do you think he's going to do in Cleveland? I think Tyrod's a really efficient quarterback. He doesn't turn the ball over a whole lot. Um, Not going to spell off in the media, not going to make a bunch of headlines with his mouth, um, but very, very efficient at the position and an explosive playmaker at times. Um, I think it's a great pickup for Cleveland. There's no one better um, for for Baker Mayfield to learn work habits from than Tyrod. You know, throughout his career, he he sat for a while in, in Baltimore, so he he got to observe and he and he saw what it took to be a big time quarterback, and and he was there for their Super Bowl years and learned from you know Joe Flacco how to prepare, and then he learned leadership qualities from Ray Lewis and the, and those types. So um, just a great. Uh, fit for him, I think, in Cleveland for for him to get a chance to to play play this year, likely, but also pour into May- Baker Mayfield's career. He announced his ret- retirement this year, nine straight seasons as a starting center with the Buffalo Bills, and the 28th pick overall in 2007 out of Louisville. Eric, congrats! It was a great career. Really nice to have you on the program, and I hope we can do it again soon. Talk some more football. Absolutely. Let's do it. Thanks. I tell all my friends who have a small business, you have to use Stamps.com. These people are always up against it when it comes to time. Stamps.com saves you a ton of time. Stamps.com never closes. You can print postage for letters or packages at your convenience 24-7. You can also print postage for any mail class right from your own computer. And you have the exact amount of postage every single time. You never underpay and you never overpay. And my favorite thing about Stamps.com is it saves you time and money, which you can put back into your business. You can grow your business that way. I can mail any letter, any package by using just my computer and printer, and then the mailman will come and pick it up. I love it. So what you need to do is create your own Stamps.com account. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. Once again, I have used Stamps.com for a long time because it is so fast, it is so easy, it is so convenient, and it does save me money. Right now, you too can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer, which includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale. All you have to do is go to Stamps.com, hit the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Jungle. Once again, I love this service. I know you will, too. Go to Stamps.com and enter Jungle. You know, which brings me to the next point, and that's the CBD issue that we're seeing in the Big Three. I mean, something pretty interesting went down in sports, something that might change the game, something that might change lives going forward. I mean, I don't want to overstate that, but it's really interesting to think, think that the Big Three League was the first league to step forward with this. Now, if you're waiting for some sort of misdirection or a punchline, it's not coming. Yesterday, the Big Three made news when it announced that it would allow their players to use CBD for pain treatment and recovery and that it's effective immediately. Now, I know that most of you listening right now probably do not know what CBD is. Or some of you listening right now may think you know what CBD is. But in the coming years, I think that it's going to become more and more prevalent. And more and more people will know about it. CBD is shorthand for cannabidiol. And I'll be honest, I've never used it. I've never used it, but I've done some research on it. And what CBD is, is an extract from marijuana. 
and it makes up roughly 40% of the plant. But CBD is not weed as you know it. I think a lot of you hear that and say, oh, great, you're an advocate for burning blunts as a form of pain relief. It's not what I'm saying. CBD is not weed. Weed has THC. THC has psychoactive properties. THC gets you stoned. My understanding is CBD does not. And as the United States has loosened its grip on weed, the research into the plant has become more and more widespread, more and more available, more and more scientific. And now pulling out CBD from weed without THC has become a more common reality. I mean, something you can buy in edible form over the counter if you're 21 and your state allows it. So why is CBD important? Because it can help with stress relief, anxiety relief, and most importantly, pain relief. And it works. So it's an alternative. It's a healthier alternative, a natural alternative. Instead of getting into a bottle of addictive pain pills and opiates, you can get into a bottle of non-addictive CBD. The Big Three released a statement yesterday which read in part, quote, As a testament to our relationship with our players, we listen to their feedback on CBD, as well as feedback from professionals in the regulatory and CBD industry, and decided to take this major step to support their health, end quote. So you can say what you want about the Big Three League, but they're trying to kick down this door, trying to kick down a door to pain treatment that might change the lives of athletes in their sport, and maybe in other sports if other leagues decide to follow suit. I mean, consider what former NFL running back Arian Foster said on my podcast last month when I asked him if he thinks that the NFL is ever going to legalize tree for their players in an attempt to treat pain better. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the NFL's reactionary ways anyway. They'll pump their players full of opioids for years, but they'll ban players for a year for weed. You know, it's it's I'm not a a fan of the NFL's policy making. I don't think they're very forward thinking, so I don't see it happening anytime in the near future. But if it does, that is amazing. I would would be happy to be wrong. Why do you think the league will, quote, pump their players full of opioids but not allow weed? What's, What's their thinking behind that? I couldn't, I couldn't tell you the thinking, but it's been like that for you. I mean, even if you look at I don't think it's necessarily just the NFL. I just think it's um, old people making rules. I think it's just an old way of thinking. It's, it's 2018 is, is, is not 1960. You know what I mean? And we have a lot of people from that era making these rules. And as soon as they go away, progression will happen. So you heard him say it. 2018 is not 1960. And the rule makers of the big three may in fact be ahead of the rule makers in some of the other major leagues. A league that's been around for two years is already making decisions that leagues that have been around forever are not willing to make. I mean, there are countless athletes, countless stories of former athletes, countless stories of athletes getting into a bottle of Oxy and then never getting out of it. And it wrecks them on the inside and it wrecks them on the outside. It destroys their organs, their brains, leaves them addicted to big business medicine that they can't get off of. And this is not a team bake take. I don't bake, nor do I judge. This is not a team bake take. This is a team woke take, as in staying woke, staying informed on alternative medicine, perhaps, 
that may in fact be better and cleaner for these players who are giving up their bodies. Now, granted, they're giving up their bodies. They make these choices, and they make a good living. But you know, going back to Daniel Carcillo, wouldn't stand a reason that if you're a professional sports league, wouldn't you want to do everything you can to protect your asset? to protect your asset and give them all the information you can so they're healthier, they play longer. So, you know, for me to say the big three may have made history, maybe, maybe so. You know, maybe if they do something and they're the first ones in, maybe other leagues will come around to the very same feeling. And then all of a sudden the existence of the big three is certainly something more significant than you would have ever thought. Because getting off the pills and getting into non-psychoactive CBD may not only change lives, maybe it saves lives. And of all leagues, the big three might be leading that charge, at least stimulating conversation or maybe paving the way. So I think it's a really interesting conversation. And I like they're doing it. I like that move. I like that alternative. Dudes, are you aging out because you're graying out? Do not let that happen. Experience Control GX from Just For Men. The first shampoo with a brain. So what makes it so smart? It reduces gray the same way it grows in gradually. The more you shampoo with Control GX, the less gray you have. Just use it until you like what you see. Now how smart is that? Smart enough to be voted Men's Hair Care Product of the Year. Gradually reduce gray with the first shampoo with a brain. Find Control GX in the shave aisle. That's Control GX. My guest is Daniel Carcillo. Daniel, really nice to have you on the program. Good morning. How are you? Thanks for having me, man. I'm good. How are you? Good, good, Daniel. There's so many things I want to talk to you about because what you're doing with your life right now and with the lives of other players is so important. But let me jump right in and go back to when you retired in 2015. At that time, you wrote a piece for the Players' Tribune about your friend Steve Monador, a player who many people remember. Let me start there. What was Steve like as a friend? Um, just a guy that everybody got along with, um, <clears throat> a guy that you'd love to have on your team, a guy that... Um, you know, would uh, would take the young guys out to dinner and and uh, and always be there for you. Uh, when I got to Chicago, I was actually um, uh, newly newly sober, and uh, and he kind of took me under his wing, and um, we basically did everything together. And he showed me how to how to lead a sober life. So, um, you know, I I truly believe that I owe my life to him because not only for those years, but he also introduced me to the Care Clinic, um, and uh, and you know that type of treatment is definitely uh, life saving. You know, after he passed away, you started to speak out about life after hockey and how guys like Monty struggle with the transition into life outside of hockey. I mean, there's something of a code that you're not supposed to talk about something like that because it might be seen as a distraction, but you felt compelled to do it anyway. Why was that? Um, I think amongst men, uh, there's a pretty big stigma uh, attached to um, speaking uh, honestly, transparently, and, and showing vulnerability. Um, I believe that that's the only way to... Uh, smash that stigma and uh, and to really get the word out on uh, not only TBIs, not only concussions, but uh, mental health as a whole. Um, the more that I think men use their platform to uh, to speak honestly about what is really going on, um, the more we can uh, reach other lives and help other people. Daniel Carcillo is my guest in terms of mental health and concussion awareness you've talked about how your speech started to get slurred the sun would start to hurt your eyes more and more when did that first start happening and what did you think about it at first um it was about 
two years, two years after retirement, um, things like that, uh, light sensitivity. If I didn't have my glasses on me, I'd have to uh, try to close my eyes and run to my car. If I, if I opened my eyes in the sun, then I'd have a, a splitting headache the rest of the day. Um, suicidal ideation, uh, anxiety, depression, things that I was never predisposed to. Um, and I didn't know why they were happening to me. Uh, thank gosh, and like I said before, in 2013, Steve had introduced me to the, the care clinic in Atlanta. Um, and so I had some knowledge about it, but um, I was putting it off. And I thought that it would go away. And with post-concussive symptoms, they don't go away. They only get worse, um, and they only linger. And so I knew there was an out. I knew there was a clinic in Orlando um, that could identify the parts of your brain that are injured and help you make new neurological pathways around those dead neurons. Um, and, and so I just kind of picked myself up and, and one day uh, I just went. And I describe getting people into treatment um, for post-concussive symptoms like it's like talking to an addict. Uh, until it gets bad enough, um, a, lot of, a lot of people are, are really hesitant to go, number one, because they're skeptical. Uh, number two, it's, it's not an easy proposition as a 33-year-old man to go to a clinic. I have two young kids and a third on the way and assess the state of my brain. Uh, it's, it's pretty scary. Yeah, sometimes you don't want to know. And then there's the other part, right? You're a proud guy. You've got this warrior mentality. And, I mean, you're wired to and been taught to fight through everything and then not tell anybody what you're dealing with. But it seems to me I would argue that it's braver to say that something is wrong, and that's exactly what you did. What was that process like to start telling people initially that something wasn't right? <clears throat> it's freeing. Um, and every day, that's, that's how I lead my life. I speak transparently, I speak honestly about the things that I've gone through um, to hopefully uh, enact change, number one, um, and then help other people. And the video that I did with the Players' Tribune has <clears throat> 7.5 million views in 15 days. And uh, the NHL and NHL TSN and the NHL Network, nobody's picked that up. And, and so what that tells me um, is, is that there's, there's a need for this type of understanding for uh, post-concussive symptoms and people are wondering why these high operating people are coming back um, you know veterans firefighters police officers why they're coming into I call it the real world um, and 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 acting um, out of character uh, doing things where you shake your head uh, you know guys getting in their car uh, driving drunk making bad decisions and <clears throat> what they need to understand is that um, parts of your brain are shut down Right? Your frontal lobe, your lower right cortex, decision-making parts of your brain are, are not working properly. And you need to identify those parts of the brain and then stimulate them and get them working again and make new neurological pathways. And, and then you'll feel like you're, uh, like you're 16 again. I really, um, I was wondering if I was ever going to feel like myself again, like I was 16 before I drove to uh, Sarnia, Ontario, before I started playing uh, junior hockey. Um, and, and I do. Thank gosh for that clinic. Daniel Carcillo is my guest. You know, to that point about how the NHL is not picking up on that video, despite those views, have the NHL and the NHLPA done enough to protect and educate their players? No, not at all. Um, they do zero to educate. Um, <clears throat> uh, during training camp, there's a mandatory substance abuse meeting, so they tell you the effects of uh, marijuana or uh, other drugs on your brain, <clears throat> but never once in nine years did I hear anything about um, the 
risks of not only head trauma, but the risks of repetitive head trauma. Daniel, I've heard a lot of NHL players over the course of the last 30 years talk about what it means to get their name on the cup. You've got your name on the cup twice. You said, quote, you can take my name off the Stanley Cup twice over. I can't live like that anymore, end quote. It's an amazingly powerful thing to say. What makes you say that, and what was it like getting to that point? Um, I said that, so you can take my name off the cup because, to be honest with you, I just, I I would love another conversation with my friend, with Steve Monador. Mm. Um, And that's the reason I said that. And I don't love the NHL. I've said this as well. I love the game of hockey. And I just, I I don't understand um, their position. I, I do understand their position. It's about money, and but it's a three-prong attack, right? Like what I'm trying to advocate for is proper understanding, diagnosis, and care for a traumatic brain injury. It'll be better, number one, for the human beings, for the athletes, because they don't leave the sport with a chemical imbalance and do and wonder and suffer, um, you know, through something that they just don't understand. Uh, number two, it's good for the fans because you get an optimized athlete. Uh, hand-eye coordination is off the charts. If you've seen. Uh, Sidney Crosby this year knocking pucks out of the out of midair. He's the only one doing it. Well, it's because he's doing vision training, right, from the Carrick Institute. And then number three, it's good for the owners because you have an athlete who's less prone to injury um, and less man games lost. So everybody wins. All right. So there are kids who play hockey who are listening right now. There are parents of kids who play hockey who are listening right now. What do you want them to know, and what do you want them to think about? I want them to know that you can better protect your brain through vision training, um, through increasing your spatial awareness, peripherals. Um, I'm actually going to implement that. I've made a partnership with the Carrick Institute and uh, and Dr. Clark, who implements that sort of vision training with uh, the University of Cincinnati of Ohio. Um, and, and he has some really amazing anecdotes and some really amazing research that backs his, um, his findings up. And, and what that does, just think of it, think of vision training like um, working your bicep out, right? You, you work your bicep, you do bicep curls, uh, your bicep gets bigger. So with vision training, uh, your brain is a softball. With, without vision training, your brain is the size of a golf ball. Now, concussions um, aren't preventable. And especially in the game of hockey, they're just, they're going to happen. The worst type of concussion that you can get is the one you don't see coming. If you're working out your brain and you have this vision training, then you don't have a golf ball rattling around in your head, you have a softball. So that's how this uh, vision training can help protect kids and it's just really, really exciting. Um, you know, I've, I've done research for three and a half years now and I didn't open my mouth for three years. And I, I had to start talking about this and I have to speak honestly about this every single day because I still see my friends being uh, treated the wrong way in the NHL. You know, they, they get hit in the head, they're suffering from post-concussive symptoms and they, they keep injecting their neck. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they won't even say the word head. And um, I, I just can't stand by. Like in my career when I saw injustice, when I saw somebody getting picked on, I would go out and I would protect, I would protect my teammate and this is no different. He is the owner of TPD Hockey, a mental health and concussion advocate, founder of the Chapter 5 Foundation, Daniel Carcillo. Very important uh, topic of conversation. Daniel, I wish we had more time, but I think we really covered that pretty well, given the time that we had. I appreciate you very much. Great to have you on the show. If there's somebody listening who wants more information, quickly, how would they go about getting it? Um, 
Go to my social media platforms, uh, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, on Twitter, it's CarbombBoom13. On Instagram, it's DanielCarcillo13. And, uh, and you can find an email in the, in the bio and, and just uh, email me and I'll respond. This has been a very strange and disturbing story that's developed over the past couple of days. And I know you've wanted me to talk about it, but I want to see, wait and see for more information to develop. And now we have it. Not all the information, but more information. I'm talking about the story involving Giants cornerback Janoris Jenkins. On Tuesday at 10.22 a.m., police received a 911 call that led them to Jenkins' New Jersey home. And according to reports, the body of a 25-year-old man had been found in the basement of that home. An already tragic story took an even worse turn when it was reported that the cause of death appeared to be strangulation or suffocation. The hell was that? Now, it's important to note from the outset, it was made clear that Jenkins was not home. Not only was Jenkins not home, he wasn't even in the state. He was in Florida and had been for some time. But then the story took another really weird turn when William H. Jenkins Jr., the older brother of Janoris, was arrested and charged with aggravated manslaughter in the death of Roosevelt Rene. The victim was a music producer who had been living in the house and had been reportedly working with Janoris on some projects. William Jenkins was taken into custody in Ontario, New York, and on Tuesday in connection with a parole violation on two other felony convictions. That was the same day that the body was discovered in Janoris' home. Now, I've got no idea what happened. I'm not going to pretend to know. I'm not going to speculate. I'm not going to guess. Other than to say, it's tragic, it's awful. And it's also a little bit strange that somebody who identified himself as a party planner, told USA Today that Janoris was in Florida for a series of parties, including one that was coming up on June 30th. There was a recent post on Jenkins' Facebook page promoting Saturday's event, the Jackrabbit Mansion Pool Party. But the party planner was not sure it was going to go on as scheduled. Drew Johnson told USA Today, quote, I don't really know where we're at. I've been waiting for him to call back to see if we're still on. But I don't really know what's going on, man. It's a sad situation that occurred. End quote. Again, what the hell? A dead body is found. The brother of the party host is charged in connection with that death. And you're still wondering if the pool party is still on. I mean, seriously. I'm going to jump right in here and say, maybe we call off Saturday's Jackrabbit Mansion Pool Party. I mean, I know it was something that had been planned for a long time, but a dead body was just found at Jackrabbit's house. And Jackrabbit's brother has been charged with aggravated manslaughter. I'm not so sure that hosting a pool party in Florida a few days after that happened is the best look ever. Now, I'm not going to tell you how to do your job. And you're not doing your job if you're thinking that Janoris Jenkins will be looking to do cannonballs into a pool and mess around on a floating swan a few days after a dead body was discovered in his home. And everybody deals with grief and tragedy in their own way, so I'm not going to say what is and isn't appropriate for somebody else in a situation like this. But I'll say this. 
You shouldn't be looking to do cannonballs into a pool and messing around on a floating swan a few days after a body is discovered in your home and your brother is being held in connection with that death. And if I'm the party planner, I'm not going to wait for that call back from Janoris. I'm going to make that decision for him. I mean, a family friend was found dead in his home and his brother is being held in connection with that. I don't think that Janoris is in the right frame of mind for that jackrabbit bash. I've got to think this guy's got other more important things to worry about. I've got to think he might be distracted. Go ahead. Cancel the party. Do him a favor. Take the initiative. Again, I am not in the party planning business. This is really none of my business. I'm not looking to take money out of anybody's pocket or food off anybody's table or wreck anybody's weekend who was looking forward to the jackrabbit bash. And I know refunds are a pain in the ass. But go ahead and shut that bash down. Do it right now. No need to wait. Get cracking on that and let your Norris focus on everything else that matters in this case. He might be angry now. He will thank you later. Terrible, awful, tragic, bizarre story. Chris Cyborg. Chris, it is so nice to see you. How are you? Great. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Jim, for being here. It's my pleasure. It is great to have you here and so nice to talk to you. And that belt is really something else. I mean, that's a champion's belt right there. Let me start with the belt. How much pride do you have in being a world champion? And what's the pride and what's it feel like when you put that belt around your waist? You know, it's a big responsibility to be the champion because you don't just have to be the champion inside cage, but you have to be outside because the young kids look at you, you know, look at you and then want to be the champion one day. And you have to be an example. But I think the most important to be the champion is my journey, what I did for be the champion. I think this is the big example for it's a really hard because no easy. Everybody thinks the be the champions easy not, but to continue to be the champions the most hard, not just the conquest the belt. And what a great point that is. Is it yeah. tougher to get to the top of the mountain or yeah. is it tougher to stay at the top of the mountain? This day, because people watch you, you know, my opponents watch me and then they won't beat me. And I have to, I can always stop learning. I have to keep training and learn, learn, learn for getting better, for continue to be the champion. Chris Cyborg joins me here in studio. At the end of December, you beat Holly Holm at UFC 219. It was a classic, tough five-round fight. What do you remember most about that night and what was your biggest takeaway? Um, you know, Holly, I always respect her because she's like 13 times a world champion boxing. And I really love boxing. And I would like show the clean boxing when I fought her. And for me, the day when I fight Holly, I knew if I beat her, I beat Ronda the same night. And for me, it's very special that, that night. And I'm really happy, you know, uh, I would like maybe do rematch because the, some judge who watched the fight think, think maybe she's, you know, have a three or two for, for me. But I think I dominated all the rounds, you know. I think I did the game I would like to do, like the boxing game. You know, we'll talk about that rematch in a minute, but you just said that when you beat Holly, you felt like you beat Ronda that same night. What do you mean by that? Because Holly beat Ronda when she's, you know, she's the, the top number female fighter. And then Holly beat her and they have never had the opportunity to fight Ronda. And then when I beat Holly, I was thinking beat the both same night. You know, you never had the opportunity to beat or to fight Ronda. Do you think that Ronda was afraid of you? Yes. Um, 
I think it, she she take out the table the, the fight the lot of fans would like to watch. Like it's like two million pay-per-view for sure the people are gonna make this fight. And a lot of fans would like to to see this. But I think she just used my name for grow her name because before she be the champion, before she be UFC champion, I was already champion. And then I think she's just used this and then when you see when she fought Holly and she fight Amanda, why she reigned for me. Like, like she's, you know, no would like to fight to me, for sure. Chris Cyborg is joining us. You know, Chris, I probably should know better because in the fight game, anything can happen. I mean, anything yes. can happen. Styles make fights in MMA. There's so many different styles, so probably it shouldn't have been so shocking to me. But I remember watching Holly and Ronda fight, and Ronda seemed just unbeatable at that point. Again, you probably knew better. But then to see Holly strike the way she did and to put that beating on Ronda that she put on her was really uh, astonishing to so many people. What did you think as you were watching that fight? Uh, the time I watched this fight, I really was I was fasting for a fight Ronda, and then I was thinking, okay, who's gonna win? And I just met Holly that time, and I know she having a short notice about this fight, like she don't have long camp, and and you know she's training, she training really for a bit to take down the Ronda, you know, like she Holly she have great footwork and great boxing, and she she just need to learn if for defending her for takedown. And then for sure she's gonna beat Ronda, and then she did this, like getting shocked a lot of people. But I, I was believing Holly that time. I was believing Holly because she's having great, great boxing. So it didn't surprise you. I'll tell you what was surprising: that Ronda stood right in front of her. Ronda stood in front of her and tried to strike yeah, with her. Yeah, I, I was thinking like this fight: if Ronda put her on the ground, I'm, I believe Ronda gonna submit her because I don't think Holly have the game, the grappling game, and then Ronda was really fast. And but but she's she's did great. She did great plan in the fight. Chris Cyborg is my guest in studio. You mentioned a quick turnaround. Now after your fight, you had a really quick turnaround on short notice, and you defended your belt again at UFC 222. You want to stay active. You want to fight. You're a fighter. But how tough was that short turnaround? And then to come right back a few weeks later. This is the biggest challenge for me. Is accepted fight five weeks. The first thing I did to check my weight because it's a really short notice. But uh, because this, uh, I think is really important, we keep training, you know, you know just when you have fight. And it is something you really worry about, more do my weight. And of course, it's, n- it's no easy to accept the fight, defend your belt in five weeks. And, but I'm really happy, you know, I did this for Help FC because they, they need someone to be in the place because someone fight turned down. And I'm really happy for the great opportunity I had. All right, so what about Holly Holm? She won her next fight, and your first fight with her was very good. You mentioned a moment ago that you might be open to a rematch. Would you like to fight her again? You know, I think uh, Holly, her last fight, she did amazing. She showed really her improve her game. And Meg Anderson is the contender number one, 145 pound. And after that fight, I really excited to like to do a rematch. And I think it can be a different fight. And I would like to do five rounds and finish it before five rounds. You know, put more gra- grappling, more stuff in the, the game. But the first one, I would like to show my box for all my fans. If I beat some, someone 13 times, world champion boxing in the box in her game, you know, for me, it's a big go. All right, so you've got two fights left on your deal, right? So if it were up to you, do you fight her one more time? And then there's been all that talk about a possible super fight with Amanda Nunes. But does that make sense? Holly and then Amanda? You know, it's, if you win. Yes, I think Amanda is a be a good fight, you know. For for sure I think because she did a lot of for sport too, you know, she beat Ronda too and she beat a lot of girls big name. I think it'd be a great fight. Um she know she know the people the people sell a lot of pay-per-view, but I think because her style and my style, I think people would like to see. Uh, I think it'd be a great fight. And uh, for sure it can be Holly and Amanda. 
All right, so we know what happened when you fought Holly. Every fight's different. If you fight Amanda, how do you think that fight would go? How would that play out? Uh, after I watched her last fight, and then with Hakel uh, uh, Pennington, uh, I think she she surprised me a little bit because the girl, she's two years on fighting. She came from injury one year, and she did five rounds with the girl. Like, uh, show me she helps you work a lot, you know? And then I just wait, you know, just train for the opportunity. I think it's going to be a great fight. In the beginning, I really don't like the fight because it's two Brazilians and we defend the two belts, for, you know, two counters, and then I do like one counter, I don't like to fight her. But she challenged myself, challenged me, and then, you know, I'm here for a fight. Who would make this fight gonna make? Dana say I wanna make this fight, and I just continue training and wait her. But I would like to wait her, I would like to fight before because she said her last fight in Brazil, she had an injury, and she needs six months for getting injured, for getting recovery. I would like to fight before. I don't like to wait. I was going to say, do you have that kind of time? Will you wait for her? No, I don't want to wait. I want to fight. Like, I have to fight. If she's having, she's, she's two, two is fight in Brazil, then fight me in July. You know, I'm ready to fight. If you then call me a Chris, I have fight for you, I'm ready to fight. And if she need a little bit of time, you're cool. But I would like to fight who would like to fight me 145 pounds. You know what's really strange is you go back a little bit and you started off, among other things, or of all things, as a handball player. Yes. Now, you were not just a good handball player. You were a great handball player. Knowing what I know about you as a combat participant, what was it you liked about handball? Uh, I st- you know, I love sport. I started doing sport when I was 12 years old. And I feel like uh, the sport helped me like forget a lot of things I had passed through in my, li- in my, my family. And with my dad, you like divorce my parents. And I feel like uh, when I practice sport, I feel great. And then when I start playing handball, this is, this is helping me got a scholarship, you know, and they compete and they learn a lot. And when I, I, the, when I, I was never have a dream be a fighter. This is the one thing I never think I'm gonna be a fighter. Like, and then I was in the school, I have suffered bully, and then I, I, I always hide, I never wanna fight somebody in the school. And all my friends my friend in the school, very troublemakers, and I was the last person to be there. And then when I was playing handball in the university, I went to the university, one, one guy from shootbox, he's watching me play handball. And then when he finished the game, he told me, I think you're gonna be a great fighter. And I look at him from like, watching you playing handball. Yes, and then and then I know I was really rough. And when I play, I really good in defense, and defense, defense everything. And then I really strong that time too. And then when he told me, I think you can be great fire. I, I look at him and say, What do you mean, you great fire? Like, you know, for me, I was never following the fighter. Like, never following me. I, I think I just watched Mike Tyson with my dad. And I, like, but I never watched because in Brazil it's very late in the middle of the night. Right. But but I, I look at him and I say, ah, okay. And then all the time he saw me and he see me in the school and he say, ah, you can go to my gym, shoot the box. And I say, okay, okay, but I never want to show up. And the one day I show up. And then I just watch, and then the second day I did my first train. And I see I have that thing inside my heart. Like when people try beat me, and I feel, what? And I want to beat the punch back. And this is one thing you cannot teach anybody. This is coming you have to born from. You know, you want to fight. And then, and then when but I you did, never wanted to fight though, no, right? No, I also don't know I have this thing. It like surprised me too. And I think surprised everybody at the gym because, they, yes, and they have one girl. Uh, she's always beat me in the gym. Always she's very strong. And one day I beat her. That day she. What that? What that feel like? What did that do for you? And then the, that day, like uh, she's, she never tried beat me again. 
but like test, like, you know, it's test for me. But that day I was three months training. And then when this day I feel like I would like to fight back, I was, you know, and I asked my coach, I would like to one fight for see what's happened. And I did my first fight, fighting six months. And I, I was not nervous or anything because I don't know what's, what it's going to be, like what feel would be a fighter, like nothing. And I did my first fight six months. I lost my first fight. I have mm. a bad injury in my, sh my elbow. But after a fight, I said, amazing. I love it. And then I want to do this, this. And I asked for a rematch a long time ago, but she never did the rematch for me. But I say I born for this. And I stopped doing handball. I stopped doing it. I was doing track and field too. And I just be a fighter. But I, it's, it's like God gave you something amazing for me because I never looking for be a fighter. So you found your thing, and then you became a world champion. Now you've got two fights left on your contract with UFC. You love boxing. You want to box, don't you? Yes, you know, I love to challenge myself. And then I did a compete in jiu-jitsu. I did compete in, in Muay Thai, um, wrestling. And I think be doing five boxing. When I started, I started in boxing. And I came to MMA because I don't have the opportunity. For, and then if you have the opportunity to fight box, I would like. I think it's something I would like to challenge myself. Same I say in the beginning, it's not for me just the important to be the belt, but to be my journey, mm -hmm. know what I'm doing for the sport. And I think I can help the woman's, the boxing woman's growing her done sport too. And then it would be amazing doing, would have the opportunity to fight the box like Mayweather and then, and then McGregor. So did. what did you think when you saw that fight? What, McGregor Mayweather. What did you think about that? No, in the beginning, I knew Mayweather was going to beat McGregor, but he's very courageous. He's opened the door. You know, he's opened the door for us. I was thinking of doing one boxing fight, but before McGregor, I said it was impossible. You know, but when I saw him there in the step fight Mayweather and opened the door for everybody, you know, I think he's great. I think the fans look this too. You know, the MMA fighter can fight one box fight and make amazing fights. Can't fight. go the other way though, right? They can't fight MMA. Boxers cannot fight MMA, but yeah, maybe an MMA they, can box. Yeah, because they're going to take it down, you know, and, and they're not going to do anything. Yes, I think when you, yeah, I think better go to MMA to the box. You know, Chris, you took an anger management course after getting into a fight with another UFC fighter after she had made comments about you. You know, you and I are sitting here, and of course, this is just, we're here. I mean, I find you to be very, very engaging. I think you're very charming. You're very smart. I wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of you like she did. That anger management course, was what was that like? Um, you know, I think I've grown a lot, you know, for, for this experience. And I was in Brazil that time, she's making joke. And I was in hospital with my dad. He's really doing surgery for cancer. And that time I was work with kids too with cancer in the hospital, and she make a lot of bad bad joke with the picture with the kids. And when I come back and I saw her, and then we we, we like yeah, everything she did coming through, and some things you cannot make joke, you know you you pass the line. And that time I was really emotional. That time you know I really have a hard time with my dad, and and this is what has happened, you know and. I'm not proud of what's happened. I'm really not proud. And because this, I start no bully, you know, with kids, one program for the kids, because I'm not proud of this, but sometimes can happen because sometimes you have to know what you joke about. You know, you don't know what people pass through at that time. And I, I, I hope people learn with this mistake too, but, you know, and then I think she learned a lot too. I think I hope she, after that, she getting better person, you know, something you can don't joke about family. You know, I think this is very hurtful you do that. You know, if it's something that you as a world champion has dealt with, you can imagine how many other people deal with 
online bullying. So how does it make you feel when you hear people say things or make comments about you the way that she did? And then how do other people deal with these things? Because online bullying is a very real issue. It's a very bad, you know, very right. bad for the teenagers. It's, it's, it's funny because uh, I have long time people bully me online, long time. But that time she's joked something like, okay, you hear the joke because you say something about myself, ah, because you know, no, pretty, because you know, Barbie. For me, this doesn't change this. But the time she played like people's sickness in the, the hospital, this really touched me, you know, I, I don't think school do this. And, and for the bully online, I really, I, I really learned a lot of things. I try to use the bully, what people say for me in my Instagram, everything. I try to prove them wrong. But don't fight with them, you know. I try to change. Okay, if I know good one thing, maybe they're right. Maybe I need to change, you know, you know for, for make me better person. But that time, it's, she jokes something is really bad for joke, you know. I was really sensitive about it. Chris Cyborg joining me in studio. Listen, before I let you go, you recently adopted your niece, Gabby. Yes. And when I see photos of the two of you or hear you talk about her, you just light up. What's it been like being a mom and having Gabby with you? You know, I live in, I live in dream. This is my dream I have a long time. Before I move to America, I make a promise for her. I say, Gabby, when I do everything in my life, I'm going to bring you for living for me. And bring her, I live the dream. I live the dream. Like, it's really special. She, we always live together in Brazil, but bring her here for her, give her other opportunity. Like, when I move to America, I even speak in English. And now she's, she's came and she didn't speak in English too. And they start teach her, but she, she just have to go to school. When I reach America, I have to go work, I have to do a lot of things. And I, I, I want to help her, she'll be a great woman, and then, and then you know, do, do something for people, same I'm doing for her. And yeah, this is, this is amazing for me. I'm living the dream now. Good for you. Listen, on July 14th, you're going to host Chris Cyborg's Pink Belt Fitness Retreat for Women, and it's going to take place in Costa Mesa, California. What is that day going to be like? Uh, it's uh, one campus, like uh, one day with me, sometimes I do two days, it's uh, like uh, one group, I like to put the girls each other, for you can use, like semi things I uh, uh, use, example, use each other for talk, you know, and then not just train together, you know, be, you don't need to be champion, you don't need to be a fighter, if you don't know, punch in the bag, it doesn't matter, you're gonna be there, you're gonna learn, and then you're gonna meet a lot of girls, and we're gonna still have connection, I have a lot of camps, and I still connect all the girls, I think it's really special help each other and you know encourage the women's you know doing doing great and then you know be happy. What a great conversation. I am so glad that you and I came together that we were able to do this that I can meet you and you can come on the program. You are the UFC Women's Featherweight Champ. Chris, so nice to meet you. That was really great. Really good to have you on. Good luck with the next fight and I hope that you and I can do this again soon. Thanks so much. I'm really happy here. I'm glad my, you know this opportunity for my fans to know a little bit more about me. And if people want to know about Pink Belt, want to talk to me, send a message, it goes to my Instagram, at Chris Cyborg. And thank you. I'm really blessed to be here. We go to the phones. Victor. What's going on, Vic? My man. Vic. Well, first of all, let me be clear. This is not an RSVP call. By the way, clones, RSVP, that's French. It stands for Répondez, s'il vous plaît. And what that means in French is, uh, you know what, never mind. But like I said, Rome, this is not an RSVP call. I don't do RSVP calls, even though I invented the damn thing. No, I just do weigh-in calls the day before. But other than that, every call I make is an RSVP call, man. I mean, at the risk of saying something totally lame and cheesy like that cornball brother Mike and Indy, 
I don't get ready, Rome. I stay ready. I'm always on weight. You know I'm going to be there. You know, some of these other guys like Carbone or Doc Mike, Iafrady. Now Mike in India is doing the same thing. And, and by the way, you know Mike is going to show up, Rome. That guy has no life outside of the jungle, man. Of course he's going to call. I mean, just think of all the FUBU gear and the Roka wear, any Che he can potentially buy himself with that five grand. Of course he's showing up. But, you know, anyway, these guys, these guys do this thing where they hide out. Nobody knows if they're going to show up or not. You know, you just mentioned Iafrady has missed like six smack-offs. Sometimes they'll skip the smack-off for years, and then they show up out of the blue on the day of, trying to sneak in, you know, trying to ambush people, catch people off guard. That's a bitch move, bro. That's like the equivalent of having to fight a guy who just got subbed in there as a last-minute replacement. I don't do that crap, man. With me, you can set the fight date a year in advance. You know I'm going to be there. You know I'm going to make weight. You know I'm not going to pull out at the last minute because I injured myself in training camp or through a trash can through a bus window or whatever. Hell, I'm even going to come in before the event and make a few calls just so all you clones actually have something to talk about. Give you clones some material, you know, because you see, Rome, that's all the smack-off really is, man. It's all just a bunch of guys talking about Vic and NoCal for three hours. It's true. I got the official Stucknut Jungle Analytics report on this, okay? The Jungle Analytics guys at Stucknut, Headstrom, Doc, Steve, they've been crunching the numbers, running the algorithms, and it turns out 80% of the content you hear on the day of the smack-off is just guys talking about me or replying to the calls I made like in the month leading up to the event with the weakest smack, you know. It's just so unimaginative, uncreative, man. But that, that's what it is. You know, you, you, if I didn't come in here with my calls, they'd have nothing. You know, I remember back in the day I was watching a Floyd Mayweather fight. He was doing what Floyd does, right, just countering guys, never initiating, though, just waiting for the guy to throw first and beating him to the punch. I, tell my, I, I ask my friend, I'm like, dude, what would happen if Canelo didn't throw anything? I mean, would it just be two guys standing in the middle of the ring with nothing happening for three minutes? And that, that's what the smack-off would be without me, Rome. So I'm going to make a couple more calls before. Hell, I'll probably come in tomorrow and make fun of James Kelly's head or Adam Hogg's horrible T-shirts or something like that. Thanks for the line. Good night now! How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.